It's no secret that real estate is one of the best investment vehicles out there. But with all the current uncertainty, how do we know when and where to put our hard-earned money to work for us? It's easy to become distracted by that shiny object or the quote-unquote next best thing. So how do we determine which strategies will best align with our financial goals? Whether you're an active real estate entrepreneur, a passive investor, or looking to get into real estate investing, our goal is to provide investors with the insights and strategies to build our portfolios all while protecting our capital. I'm Danny Nichols. And I'm Chris Thompson. This is the Two Smart Assets Real Estate Investing Podcast. Listen, if you're interested in passive real estate investing, but aren't sure how or where to get started, our passive investing guide walks you through the entire process from understanding the benefits to performing the due diligence. Download your copy today at twosmartassets.com and start taking action. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Two Smart Assets Real Estate Investing Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Nichols, and today our guest is Mason Moreland. Mason is a vineyard syndicator, developer, and operator responsible for growth at Texas Vine Country. Texas Vine Country combines real estate syndication with modern, scalable, mechanized vineyard operations to aggressively fill a market gap in Texas and beyond. They provide the raw materials and make high-value, mid-priced Texas wines and are now one of the largest grape growers in Texas and the only one focused on focusing on mechanization and scalability. Mason, man, it's great to see you. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Danny. Thanks for having me. Great to, man, great to be here chatting with you. Man, I'm excited to speak to you today. We've had this coming for a little while now. I've been pumped for this for the last couple of weeks, for sure. So uh, we know you're involved in a very interesting niche, right? And I'm eager to learn more about that. Before we jump into that, I want to make sure our listeners know, get to know you a little bit better, Mason. So please tell us more about your background, how you got into real estate, and ultimately then the, uh, the vineyard business. Yeah, man. Th- thanks again for having me. Seriously, it's oh, yeah. a blast. I always enjoy talking to other oil and gas folks too. So uh, that's always a pleasure uh, bonding over our uh, time and godforsaken places in the middle of nowhere. Uh, like <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And Pody's. Pody's is good though. Uh, good go. barbecue. Um, but yeah, go. so uh, my, my background's a little bit all over the place. It's, it's a little odd. So I, I grew up uh, north of Dallas and uh, you know not, not in the country or anything, but my parents are both from the oil field. And uh, I've always had a passion for animals. Uh, and I thought it was going to be Steve Irwin growing up, basically, you know, and apparently there's only one of those and <laughs> that didn't work out so well. Uh, so I, I went to school to actually be that guy. Right. So I went and I was like, I'm going to I'm going to be a herpetologist. I'm going to study all the snakes and stuff. And, you know, I was like handling venomous snakes by like 12. Uh, so wow. a lot of people don't realize that about me uh, now is that that's actually kind of one of my big passions is, is herpetology and all the creepy crawlies. But I went to school for that and realized I didn't want to chase government grants for the next 50 years uh, as an academic, uh, as much as I love science and, and projects and stuff, uh, and switched over to a slightly more applied version of that in uh, for a degree, at, which I will call professional rednecking, uh, <laughs> and became a uh, environmental consultant, because uh, uh, apparently professional rednecks don't make a lot either. Um, so <laughs> uh, two, two, two strikes, uh, but I hit on the third one. But uh, I've been in environmental consulting since uh, 13 um, and doing primarily like wetland work, uh, delineations, permitting, uh, all sorts of project management. That's primarily what I do now is project management uh, and, you know, writing the reports and uh, applying for the permits. Not so much field work anymore, but, uh, you know, back in the day, I did a ton of field work, walked from basically Houston to Dallas uh, doing doing wetland delineations in the middle of summertime, you know, the backpack on and uh, just fun stuff. But, uh, you know, that 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 kind of stuff is really what developed me as a person. Right. 
And throughout this time, I've, I've been doing real estate because of my, my dad. Uh, so my dad is, uh, you know, one of those guys that is always thinking about what's next. Like, what is the next thing? What do I need to do to grow myself personally, financially, and grow my family uh, as a unit? And so uh, around the time that I graduated in 13, he brought uh, me and my brother in and said, you know, I I've read all these books, uh, you know, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, all these things. And I think this is what we need to get into. We need to get into real estate and at least have this uh, portion to our lives. Right. And I, I can't think of anything, anybody better to go into business with than you two, you're, you know, you're the smartest people I know. Uh, I've raised you to be good people. Let's do this. And it's like, great. That sounds fantastic. So we started buying houses and, uh, you know, to fast forward greatly, uh, here we are, um, several years later and, you know, we own houses in, uh, Dallas, Lubbock, Midland, uh, doing short-term uh, rentals, long-term rentals, a little bit of everything. We've tried to get into multifamily and that's kind of actually how I got down the syndication pathway uh, was, was after a failed attempt at getting into multifamily by ourselves um, and backing out during the, the due diligence period. But uh, to, to get down to the grapes, where, how, do, how do we get into that? So it goes back to what I was talking about, walking from Dallas to, to, to Houston uh, in the middle of summertime, I was seeing all these stupid grapevines everywhere. I mean, just everywhere. And, uh, the, the other guy on the crew thought I was crazy. Cause I was, I was pulling samples from all these grapevines, totally extracurricular, right. Uh, and taking them <laughs> back and IDing them, trying to figure out what subspecies they are. And like, why are they growing here? Why do we not see, I, I started wondering, why do you not see vineyards in Texas? Like, this doesn't make any sense to me. Cause I just didn't know anything about it. And the more I learned is that Texas actually had, had a huge role in the wine industry on a global scale. Uh, so back in the late 1800s, early 1900s, when, uh, you know, things like phylloxera were just decimating the world's wine grapes, uh, a guy, Thomas Munson, out of the North Texas area actually was, was bringing these native Texas grapes out uh, and showing that you could use them as rootstock uh, on uh, European grapes and actually help cure the disease problem and actually be able to grow on new soils. So if you had a soil with a water problem, then go put a Vitis riparia on it. If you have a soil that's limey, go put Berlander, uh, Berlander's grape from central Texas uh, underneath it and you can grow it in a, a new area. Uh, so we actually have a, a pretty deep history in it. Uh, but the more I learned about it, I, I realized that there's a real big gap. Uh, and, you know, as you probably know, uh, most folks that like to do deals and stay in real estate uh, are always looking for market gaps and and how to how to fill those things. So I started seeing a market gap there, and uh, that gap was really that Texas only produces like half of the grapes that we use. Uh, so we, you know, say for example, uh, 2018, 19 numbers, we produce something like 28,000 tons worth of wine in the state of Texas, and it was all bought and sold in the state of Texas, like over 90% of it but we only produce maybe 14,000 tons of grapes. So we've got a 50% gap there. Something's wrong, right? Texas, everything's bigger. We will buy our own brand if it's available. So, uh, you know, I saw that market gap and, and just kept digging, kept digging, kept digging, find what's going on. Why aren't we able to do that? And I kept seeing numbers like two, two tons per acre of production in Texas, three tons, five tons, not a lot. Uh, it started looking at operational cost. It was really, really high. The reason they were high is because when you look at California, you've got these giant wine companies, right? Like Gallo, Constellation. What they're doing is they're using completely different systems. 
They're using uh, mechanization. They're optimizing everything and doing it at a scale uh, so that their operational costs are much lower. And they're doing it with a very scientific basis to it, right? So they're actually raising their yield. So just like what uh, most people do with multifamily, when they go in and they're uh, reducing operational costs and increasing rent at the same time, they're pulling on both levers as well. So they can make money at that $500 a ton. They're making 10 tons per acre of fruit. Uh, whereas in Texas, we're struggling along making five tons an acre of fruit uh, and you know selling it for like $2,500 a ton. Doesn't make a whole lot of sense, right? Sure. So there's a, a great opportunity for disruption. And that's what I saw. I said, hey, we can go apply this method over here. Uh, and eventually that's how we ended up applying more of the real estate methods like syndication to say, hey, this is a long windup asset. You know, it takes five years to come into full production. Let's go raise capital and get this done and, and knock it out and corner the market. Uh, you know, it's it's so interesting, your story is, you know, you, you have such a diverse background and then, you know, you know, moving into real estate and then eventually kind of getting into this, you know, the grapes and the vineyard and stuff like that. And I think, you know, you hear a lot of typically investors real estate investors, right? They move from, from single family to multifamily because they want to scale up, right? Or something like that, right? But, you know, vineyards is something that, you know, we don't usually hear about, right? It's just, it's not very typical, right? And I, th yeah. this is absolutely, you're the first person on our show to talk about it. But, uh, you know, and I definitely want to dive more into, you know, more of what that looks like. But, uh, you know, before we do that, I'm curious, you know, you know, you've kind of explained like how you found this and, you know, you know, finding disruptive ways to get in this thing. Is this something you've always been like open to, like just being so curious to where you're, you're looking for these opportunities, these disruptive opportunities. And if so, you know, can you provide like how you're able to do that? Cause I think a lot of people that kind of just latch on to these ideas, you know, multifamily, let's just go do multifamily. Right. But you're over here looking for something to really change the game. Right. And I think that's not common. So can you talk just a little bit more about that experience? Yeah, for sure. That's, that's totally, I think, I think some of that's innate, right. And, you know, some people are born with like that innate curiosity for certain kinds of things, but it's definitely a muscle. You have to work it out. Like if you don't work it out, it's not going to develop. Uh, and for me, it's, it's been a long time going, uh, you know, I remember, I think I've only talked with one other person about this on like a live stream one time, but, uh, when I was a kid, uh, and this is like, uh, 10 years old and, and maybe even prior I actually bred show guppies. Yes, that's a thing. So it was like show dogs, right? And I realized that back then, this was earlier days of the internet and people buying and selling things on the internet, is that if you could just market yourself well and provide a, a good product, you can basically sell anything. Uh, and then that that was a disruptive point for them because they were all these older guys that were, you know, selling in person and, you know, the U S is a big place. You can't go to a, a guppy show all over the place. <laughs> but even as a kid, like I was looking for these little, like small things where I could like, Hey, I could be, uh, I could, I could take an advantage there, uh, over the competition and use some kind of thing that I have some skill or some, uh, you know, asset that I have to sort of leverage into being more effective at whatever it is. Um, it, but yeah, I mean, as far as being curious, you absolutely, uh, to, to really find stuff like this, you've got to be always looking at things uh, to figure out how they work. Uh, sort of an engineer's brain, right? You want to you want to be looking at it uh, from that perspective of like, what are the mechanics of this? It can be something as stupid as, uh, you know, how does the wheel on my car on the left front side turn? Like just being constantly curious to figure out how things work. That's what gets you there. Once you figure out how they work, that's when you start really seeing uh, those opportunities, uh, to be disruptive. Uh, so for me, like 
I didn't even understand how vineyards were planted, right? Back in the day, I just saw a bunch of vines like out in the field. I was like, why are there no more vineyards? And I took that next step to keep learning. And that's when I got all that data. Once I had all the data, that's when I could see the holes. So just being curious enough to see that, that's, that's really how you get there. And I think it's amazing too, because, you know, I think it, uh, for a lot of people, as they get older, they kind of lose that curiosity that they, they had, you know, and, yeah. and their creativity. Right. So for, to be able to, to, to see something and to ask questions about it, right. Instead of just dismissing it, like, Oh, there's some vines I'm moving on or whatever, you know, uh, I think that's, that's a huge benefit, right. To be able to have that and have that curiosity and then use creativity to, to find that opportunity. Right. And I think that's, that's huge, man. And I, I think it's awesome that you have that ability and you kind of honed it right from years yeah. of, of, you know, doing what you're doing. I think that's, it, that's pretty awesome. I mean, it sort of takes some stubbornness too, right. You got to right. be able to take like somebody saying, no, that's not the way it is. And then being able to question it and say, sure. Like, Let's figure out why that's not the way it is. I love it, man. I absolutely love that. So, and you know, that kind of brings me to another point. You know, you've done a lot uh, with your diverse background. You know, you got academia and the gas, going to real estate, now vineyard stuff. So, you know, you've built a lot of skills through, you know, through all this time, right? And so, for you, do you find that each new time you're having to, obviously, you're having to develop those new skills, but through those things that you've done, have there been like transferable skills that you've been able to take from one one area to another area? Oh, 100%. I a hundred percent. I don't think there would be any way that I would be able to do what I'm doing now if I hadn't had like the unique sort of confluence of all the different things that I've done. I, I, I feel like the more things and it goes back to being curious, right? Um, the more things that you're able to have at least uh, a decent understanding of how, uh, how they work, the mechanics of it, whether it's uh, real estate deals, like all the different sub subtypes of deals that there are, you know, Burr, uh, multifamily, commercial, uh, you know, even within commercial, there's all sorts of different stuff, right? Sure. Just being able to understand that those nuances uh, to, to, to an extent, you don't have to be perfect at everything. Uh, you're able to draw connections. It's that same kind of concept uh, for like neuroplasticity, right? The more neural connections you can make, uh, the faster you're going to learn, the more, uh, the, the better memory you're going to have. And it's the same concept with being able to do new stuff and be curious like that. Uh, if you've got a lot of, a lot of broad skill sets, you're going to be able to draw stuff in like oil and gas. I've found that my experience in oil and gas has been one of the most pivotal things on the vineyard side. Uh, that I would have never expected because of, uh, you know, the, the actual focus on being very productive as far as the, the efficiency of things, uh, the, the concepts of like upstream, midstream and downstream mm. and, uh, you know, the, the sorts of technology that we use uh, and, you know, KPI tracking, all those things are very applicable to, to agriculture, especially the, the kind that we do. So that's been pretty surprising. Yeah. You know, I love to hear that. I find that that's very interesting because I didn't know that, you know, I, I realize I understand, you know, kind of the process is oil and gas because I'm an oil and gas professional as well, but to hear that you kind of be able to use some of those skills in the vineyard business, I think is, is completely, it's, it's incredible. And I love to hear that because you've been able to, you know, use what you've already learned and apply it somewhere else and be successful at it. Right. So I think that's, that's amazing. And, you know, and so that kind of brings me to a, to another point. And I really want to start talking about the vineyards themselves, if you're okay with that. You know, yeah. um, you, you mentioned uh, before kind of what you do, but talk to us uh, a bit more about Texas vine country, you know, kind of what you guys do. And I know you went into this a little bit, but, but why Texas, you know? 
well, we're an upstream uh, uh, wine and beverage company. So uh, <laughs> that, that would put us in that sort of grower space. But okay. <laughs> we, uh, sorry, uh, oil and gas joke. What we do is we, we grow the grapes, okay? To put it as simply as possible. Texas vine country is focused on wine-based businesses, but our primary business line is growing the grapes. Like I hit on, uh, you know, our, the main hole that we saw was uh, producing a lot of grapes in the least amount of space for the best quality possible for an affordable price. Uh, that that just wasn't happening in the state of Texas. Uh, and to do that, you have to be mechanized. You have to use modern methods from the West Coast, like Fresno area in California. And it, it takes scale and capital to do that. Uh, just to put it in perspective of, of sort of how much this costs, uh, our typical capital stack is about nine to $10 million uh, for a vineyard development. And that's our minimum development size. Uh, so mm -hmm. it's about a half section, which is a half square mile. Uh, and that is the amount of land that we can keep one set of equipment busy pretty much full time. Uh, and the reason that's really important is because uh, on an equivalent vineyard, uh, that, that comes out to about 290 acres net under vine. On an equivalent uh, traditionally trellised uh, vineyard, that would take upwards of 40 to 60 people to operate over, over the year and seasonally even more during the early stages when you're doing more complex tasks like training the vines, uh, hand pruning a lot of things, uh, setting the trellising up. Uh, for us, we run it with about three people. So really? it, it's a huge operational cost difference, but you're paying uh, nearly a million dollars in equipment, right? So you're buying mm -hmm. all these super specialized tractors with AI on board, visual sensors, like it's a lot. So if you're gonna do this, you really have to do it at scale and keep those machines as busy as you can, uh, maximally busy. Uh, so that that's what puts us at that size. And, you know, for most people, that's pretty hard to come up with that kind of capital, especially with ag loans being like 65 LTV. That's a lot of capital to come up with. Uh, so your, your actual time to, to, to roll over and do the next one is really long when it takes five years to go into full production on a vineyard. You know, it's usually year three is your first production comes all the way up to full production by year five. Uh, so what we got to thinking was, well, we're in real estate and we know very well all these, these folks and the methods uh, that, that do syndication. Why can't we apply that same method over here, right? And exactly like you're, <laughs> we were just talking about, we just identified a solution from another industry and said, why, why, can't, why can't we use it over here? Started looking into it and said, there's no reason why we can't, uh, you know, let's do it. Uh, you know, the, the, this gives us a great opportunity uh, to uh, go in and aggressively grow. And really, you know, from a selfish perspective, just from the, the emotional perspective, we're going to cut off those imports from California and make Texas mm -hmm. self-sufficient. Awesome. Right. Uh, but from, you know, a financial perspective, it's really hard to catch up. You know, if somebody else already has a thousand acres and, uh, you know, their, their break-even price is already set pretty low because they got in on the land costs at a good cost, uh, earlier on, uh, let's get in and really corner that market and be that, uh, that company that allows Texas to grow the, the industry. Man, I, you know, really there's so much there I want to unpack. I wish the show was like a two hour show so I could just sit here and pick your brain. Cause you know, I would love to dive into the mechanization, all of that, you know, your scaling and stuff like that. And also I'd love to dive into the underwriting and just how you underwrite, you know, this type of stuff because you oh, know, if you're underwriting a jam. Yeah. yeah. Well, there you go. But if yeah. you're underwriting a, a multifamily deal or a self-storage deal, is that the same as a vineyard? But the thing is, 
to be honest with you, Mason, we just don't have time for that. We're going to have to get you back on for another show and we'll dive into the underwriting and all that stuff on that one. But, uh, you know, the the truth is I can see why the idea of investing in vendors can be so appealing. Like we talked about before the show, it's sexy, just straight up. That's what it is. You know, it's, it's amazing, but you know, as with all investments on the other side of that coin, there's always risks involved, right? So can you talk about some of the risks associated with uh, operating investing a vineyard and what are some of the steps you guys take to mitigate those risks? Yeah, for sure. And that's, that's always the first thing people talk about because it's agriculture, right? And if you've ever known a farmer, they're the, (laughs) you know, you've basically got to be a stoic philosopher to be a a very happy (laughs) farmer. You're just like, the weather is what it is. There you go. Can't change it. Right. (laughs) Uh, So I I have definitely uh, in the last five years gotten more deep into the stoic philosophies. Uh, So (laughs) that's been good. But uh, yeah, as far as risks, you know, it's mostly weather, right? Uh, So you've got um, uh, grapevines come out of dormant in the spring. They go into dormancy in the fall. Uh, in Texas, we can have those shoulder season uh, freezes, same as the, the vines in Colorado, same as vines in uh, really anywhere outside of you know the temperate areas of California. Sure. Um, so you want to avoid damage there. So we do a lot of uh, different you know structural practices and uh, actual cultural practices as far as how we manipulate the vines to try to mitigate that. And we have hail out here. Everybody knows Texas weather's crazy. Hail can crazy. knock off uh, grapes and stuff like that. Um, but our, our primary, uh, defense against that is insurance. It's like everybody else, right? You know, you're not going to go buy a 300 unit apartment complex and not have insurance on it. Same thing with us. We're not going to go plant a $10 million vineyard and not have crop insurance, uh, disaster insurance, uh, liability insurance. Uh, that it, honestly, that's one of the cool things about agriculture though. You know, there's a, always a running joke when you see some cotton farmer driving around in like a $80,000 pickup, like, man, that's one good insurance farmer over <laughs> there. Right. Uh, but you know, it's one of the few assets where you can really go and like lock in like 75% of your revenues, you know? Yeah. It's expensive, but, uh, if you're planning it in and it works in your underwriting, that's a pretty cool deal. Uh, you know, I, I can't complain too much about, about the insurance side of it, but yeah, we, we do a lot on the actual cultural side too, to help mitigate all those damages. Um, and that helps a whole lot. Our, our mechanized system has actually turned out because it's so much higher up off the ground. It's, it's been, um, more freeze resistant, actually. Oh, uh, it's okay. up higher off the cool inversion layer of air that, that sinks. Sure. Man, that's, there's a lot of interesting stuff there. I love to hear that, you know, uh, that's just, it's, it's really good stuff. And so, you know, many of our listeners are passive investors, right? And so they hear something like this and like, Oh, got to get my hands on this. Right. Cause like you said before, it's very sexy. Right. And so including myself really, uh, you know, definitely want to, you know, it sounds very interesting, but, uh, so, so considering that a lot of our listeners are passive investors, can you talk about a little bit from that angle and, uh, you know, who should be investing in this basically as a passive investor and then really who shouldn't be investing in this as a passive investor? Cause there's really yeah. two sides of the coin always. Right. So can you touch on that a little bit? hundred percent. I'll start with who shouldn't because there's you know, like a clear who shouldn't on this. If you're super concerned, if your top concern is velocity of money, growing a, a permanent crop is probably not for you. Right. <laughs> like uh, the only thing worse might be pistachio orchards uh, for you. You know, you're like looking at seven or eight years before your first Ooh. crop, uh, which, you know, they can be wildly profitable, but it's still, that's a long time. Sure. Uh, so, you know, if, if you're demanding to be, you know, in and out of an asset in three to five years, not for you, this is definitely more of a legacy thing. Like if you're, if you're looking to put in money into something that, uh, you want to have a very clear, um, tangible good that it's providing and it, you want it to last for, you know, 20, 50, hundred years, 
this is great for you. Uh, if you want to see good cash on cash cash flow, great for you. If you're scared of weather, if you're scared of insurance uh, programs, if you're scared of uh, you know insects, it's uh, probably not for you. Um, and, you know, I'll also throw in there too. If you're if you're a total wine snob, this is probably not for you either. Just because, look, like what we do. <laughs> This is farming, right? We are out there doing the production. This is the roughnecking of the wine world, right? We're out there just getting those grapes made and they're going to be good. And they're going to show up on that winery's doorstep at the right time. Uh, so it's, it's probably not for you if you're into your uh, $500 bottle of wine. Now, if you really like those like $17 bottles that are just going to knock your socks off at $17, we're probably the folks that you need to talk to. The best, the best. Absolutely, man. I, I love to hear that. I love that breakdown too. Cause you like, like we talked about before, you know, there's definitely these kind of deals are for some investors and they're not for other investors, right? Just like yeah. with anything, whether it be as multifamily or self-storage, it's always for somebody and not for somebody else. So love to hear that, man. Like I said, I feel like we can talk about this all day long, but uh, so with that being said, what does the future of Texas vine country look like? Uh, is it expansion, more of West Texas? What is that? Okay, so I, I'm actually going to pull a little bit from one of your past episodes with with Jason. Um, uh, your your Rusi, right? yeah, there yeah. You go. Okay, so and, and I know he's got a little bit of the, the Goggins blood in him, but right as I kind of figured out the syndication thing, I had like a moment, and I, I haven't talked to anybody else about this yet, but um, I had a moment where somebody from our organization who had been very negative. And, you know, this is around the time I was, I was doing a lot of mindset stuff and realizing, man, I need to get negativity out of my life. And uh, he ended up leaving for another wine company. Mm. And, you know, I, I still, I wish the best for the, this, this person and phenomenal, like he's going to do good things. But I remember thinking like, you know what, this is going in the cookie jar right here. This is going in my cookie mm. jar. And if you're not familiar with that, that is like, if you are like, down for the count, you're going to pull on this thing and you're going to just take it and go a thousand percent. Okay. So I remember very distinctly, it was that, um, if they wanted, you know, they could, they could do anything they wanted in the industry, right? Plant a million acres. I was like, we'll plant a thousand acres. I'm going to plant five. I'm going to double the state's acreage and it's all going to be under us. Okay. So my new goal was, uh, 5,000 acres by 2030, uh, which, Sounds absolutely stupid if you are in the wine industry in Texas, because there are only about 5,000 acres in the state of Texas. So that involves growing the whole industry, right? So that's where Texas vine country is going. And that's uh, out in the open now, I suppose. Uh, but we're, we're going we're gonna to go out and dominate uh, and really help all these wineries in the state of Texas to be able to take Texas out of Texas. Right now, it's all consumed in state. We're not an exporting state. We're still the fifth largest wine producing state country. That's insane. Uh, so we're, we're going to put Texas on the map. That's where I want to go. Man, uh, it is inspirational to hear you say that, man. And I, I, you know, fully support what you guys are doing and super eager to watch you guys succeed. Uh, I know you'll get there. Uh, it's, it's pretty amazing, man. So we wish you the best, obviously, uh, and excited to watch you guys grow. Um, absolutely awesome. So, you know, Mason, this has been a great conversation. Uh, but before we get out of here, we always want to give our guests, uh, we always want to shine the spotlight on them. So this is time for you to just Text, tell us more about Texas Vine Country or anything else you have going on and how our listeners can get a hold of you. Yeah, for sure. I appreciate that, man. Um, so texasvinecountry.com, that's a great place to just kind of learn about what we're doing and see uh, some more about our team. Uh, if, if you want to get in touch with me directly, 
LinkedIn, for sure. I'm a LinkedIn junkie. It's the only social media platform that I actually use. Uh, I probably have a Facebook still, but I don't use it. Uh, so you can't find me there. You can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on our website, uh, texasvinecountry.com. Uh, Texas Vine Country is also on LinkedIn. Um, and also our vineyard, uh, our biggest uh, current vineyard uh, right now is Cannon County Vineyards. Uh, and we'll be setting up a website for them soon. Uh, they do have, uh, that, that vineyard does have its own Facebook page. So we'll, we do have content that trickles out through there. I just don't, uh, I don't man that <laughs> not having a Facebook. I love to hear it, man. Love that. So we're going to make sure to put all that stuff in the show notes and absolutely for our listeners, if you're not connected with Mason on LinkedIn, go there, connect with him right now. He puts out some amazing stuff, videos of stuff at the vineyard and stuff like that. It's actually, it's, it's really cool. Uh, connect with them as soon as you can. I highly recommend that. And then definitely check out the website at Texas Vine Country. I've been on there for the last two weeks, just looking at stuff and, and educating myself and all that, man. It's, it's, it's awesome stuff. You guys are doing amazing stuff over there, Mason. Uh, love to see it, but, uh, you know, it's been, like I said, it's been a great conversation. Thank you for coming on to speak to me today, Mason. Yeah, thanks. And uh, I, I forgot to mention, we actually are developing our 2022 block right now. We're starting on it, just got it under contract. So uh, go follow us, like you said, and uh, we'll, we'll show you some new content on building vineyards. Awesome. Awesome. I can't wait to see it, man. But thanks. <laughs> thanks th- thank you again for coming on the show, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. Hey, thanks for listening to today's episode. Head over to iTunes to subscribe to the show. And while you're there, we really appreciate you leaving a rating and written review. If you have any questions or topics you'd like to hear on the show, connect with us on social media or through our website at twosmartassets.com. We look forward to speaking to each and every one of you. Talk to you soon.